Good morning. If we all get iced in, um, we have yogurt and Teddy Grahams in the <laughs> kitchen for lunch. Um, thank you all for breathing and being here. This is a collection of those in here that own all-wheel drive vehicles, and so welcome, all-wheel drive club. We, uh, we're, we're working through Proverbs. This has been a fun series to research, yeah, and I hope it's been fun for you all to be out there. I loved listening to Jason last week, and we've got a couple more weeks that we're going to be working through this, and uh, we're going to continue going today. Today's message is called, On the Farm of a Sluggard. Um, I receive lots of advice from pastors about pastoring, and reams of it would be very spiritual. You know, things like... Uh, um, take a Sabbath before you need it. That was one I got recently, you know, or, or a, a sabbatical, I mean. Uh, some people will wait till they're burnt out and they scream at the children's minister and then they go take a sabbatical. Do it before. Um, another one was separate your devotional life from your sermon series. Don't just study for the sermon series and call that your personal devotional life. Uh, write, Ryan, write that down. Uh, because it... It'll get you because you think that you're, you're in it, but when you're reading to teach, you read very differently when you're reading to apply. And then all your sermons don't sound that great because you're no longer connecting personally with the words. So that was a good advice. Some of it was not so practical, though, and I have one that's my favorite. Keep a spare shirt in your office. Um, this must have been handed down generation to generation by someone who just got one too many jelly stains from the donut on their shirt. Um, and so they prepare for disaster. They keep a shirt in there. I actually don't follow that advice because I live two minutes that way. So if I need a shirt, I'll go get it. Uh, but yeah, you're supposed to keep a spare shirt in your office. So the U.S. government has bomb shelters in Colorado. Pastors have a shirt in their office. And I guess that's to say, not all advice sounds spiritual. Not all of it does. That. Not all of it does. And I think that's one of the things that's interesting about Proverbs is not... All of the advice sounds very spiritual. I think that if someone said, what's the least spiritual book in the Bible? It would be uh, either Proverbs or Esther. God's not actually mentioned in Esther, which is weird. At no point is he mentioned. I mean, he's in there sovereignly. Uh, but Proverbs would be in there because that, that's stuff that, that anyone could apply, and it's got advice for life. But bear this in mind. The Spirit of God in your spirit touches every area of your life, which means every area is spiritual advice. And so while keeping a, a spare shirt in your office doesn't seem spiritual as a pastor, if you have a stain on your shirt, no one's going to listen to the word of God you're speaking that day. They're going to sit there leaning over to their spouse and be like, does that, that looks remarkably like Australia, doesn't it? That stain on his shirt, and they would go, yes, that looks Exactly like Australia. And that Tasmania, right there to the right, that is Tasmania. And you've missed the whole sermon because the jelly stain looks exactly like Australia. Even a clean shirt in the office can be spiritual. It helps people focus on those things. So today, it's, it's a very practical proverb. Uh, it's, it's very practical and just touches a very practical area of life, but it's worth looking at. I want to open with this question. What does your procrastination cost you? What does it really cost you? Because everyone has that one leaky window, that one 
uh, oil change that's well past due in our car, the bill that's hanging on the fridge that we keep forgetting to call about to get clarification on. We need to call into that office, get that paper, fill it out. We need to get that thing fixed. It is, by the way, 51 days to tax day. You gotta gather those receipts, find the W-2s. And as I'm mentioning this, blood pressure in this room's going up. Uh, 51 days, that's sooner than I thought. And it hits a little close to home. I can hear kids are screaming out there. Their taxes are due in 51 days. And Oliver knows he needs to hide a few things. Um, But know this, we always get things done when we value the end result. So what if assaulting procrastination in our lives were to bring about such a deep dimension of spiritual health that you've never considered? What if it sets things free at a deep, deep level? And that's what brings us to Proverbs 24 today. We're in Proverbs 24, starting in verse 30. says, I went past the field of a sluggard, uh, past the vineyard of someone who had no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere, and the ground was covered with weeds. The stone wall was in ruins, and I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. To all of my anxious folks out there, this is not license to worry. This is not the verse to proof text your life of anxiety. It really is not. Biblical worry is fretting over things that are unpredictable. Or in another sense, you could think of it, it's catastrophizing our current circumstances, that this is going to end in disaster. I'm not prepared for what's ahead of me. And trying to almost fortune tell based on our own anxious thoughts, that is worry. If sudden death of a loved one keeps you up at night and haunts you, God wants to deliver you from that fear. And if, uh, for instance, you are anxious about Russia's saddle or, uh, saber rattling nuclear war, if that worries you, that is outside of your control. And that's something that we can be thinking about and praying about, but that anxiety should not arrest your life. To God, such fear is irrational and it produces thorns and not the fruit in your life that he's looking for. So there's a balancing with worry and concern to where the sluggard goes too far in another direction. And there's this balancing act we do. It is good to keep up with daily tasks and not ignore the aggregate of life, but it is not good to fear the unknown. It is good to trust God with the unknown, but it is not good to use trust in God as an excuse to slack off on everything that we're supposed to be doing. I was sitting in a, 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 this cohort, and all these new pastors get together. This is cohort, and they have guest speakers now uh, with a denomination. It's been great. And one guy came on that he, he specializes in talking about preaching and, and getting ready for preaching and preparing. And he said after a seminar, someone came up to him and said, I never prep for Sunday. He was a pastor for church. He's like, I never prep. I get up there. I have no idea what I'm saying. And I stand up there and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit fills me. And it's like a miracle every Sunday. And the guy said that he looked at him. He didn't say it, but he, what he wanted to say was, I bet if I were to take a poll of your congregation, they would say your sermons don't feel like a miracle. 
And indeed, they don't. I, I, don't, I don't come up here with a no prep. I spend hours to get ready for what's, I average 27 minutes. Did you know that? I edit my sermons to put them online. 27 minutes almost every time. Why? I don't know. It's going to be 28 minutes to me talking about 27 minutes now. But I spend hours preparing for that because that's not anxious time or worry time. It's not doubting that God wouldn't move when I stand up here, but it is doing the work to plant so that you guys have something that's worth sitting through for exactly 27 minutes every Sunday. Peace and harmony should mark our lives. They really should. When a person sees us, one way they're going to recognize that God is alive in our lives is the fact that we have a a peace and and a harmony about ourselves. We've come to terms with peace. We have a harmony. We can accept things that are difficult. Uh, This is is a sign that the Spirit is in your life, and we would want to see him grow in that all the more, that we have harmony with the world around us. But we should know clearly when it's time to act and when it's time to rest. And sensibility is something this man is noted for lacking, that he is a man with no sense. He says basically, no worries and lays back when he ought not, when there are things to be done. It's a remade proverb. Several of the proverbs are recast and they have these different intros. This one has a story. Solomon depicts himself as seeing a farm and then gives the proverb. And this proverb was given again, but in verse uh, chapter 6, excuse me, it's given a different preamble. He says in verse uh, 6 of chapter 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And now we're beginning to see a deeper dimension to this proverb of what this man lacks. It isn't that he doesn't stress enough or worry enough. And even to just say that he's lazy misses some of the specific things that was revealed to him in both Proverbs. There is no boundary for him between rest and work. You see, an ant sees summer and harvest, and in those times it prepares, it gathers the things together. And the reason we don't see any ants, particularly in today's weather, is because they're all asleep all winter long. This is the way of ants. They work when it's time to work, and they rest when it's time to rest. And in our verse today, we see the same problem, a breaking of the boundary that the wall that keeps out wilderness from cultivated land is in ruins, and weeds have sprung up everywhere, and they are mixed. See, I think the biggest thing that the sluggard lacks, as we look at him throughout Scripture, many times he's mentioned, is the sensibility He cannot separate seasons of work from seasons of rest. The sluggard's work and rest, it's it's a jumbled mess. We're meant to work hard and stay at it, hit it hard. And then we're meant to, to establish rhythms of rest in our lives where we stop completely. And that total stop is so critical. To really stop, to not mix it either way. It's just as destructive to slack off when we're supposed to be working and working when we're supposed to slack off. 
to, to say, well, I'll just get back to this email now. Is it really that critical? Can't you wait till Monday? I mean, to really just fully disengage. There are 12 commandments uh, that are given uh, to Israel. They are 12 commandments that are still powerful in the New Testament. It's 12 things that sum up essentially God's instructed order for people, and one of them is to Sabbath. Because the full spiritual dimensional development of a person requires stopping working. It requires taking a break and having clear boundaries. Sleep, slumber, folded hands, these are magnificently wonderful, deeply spiritual things when done at the right time. But when done at the wrong time, they're a breeding ground for all kinds of mischief. Chaos is bad for the spirit but chaos is the inheritance of the one who refuses to administrate their own life, who refuses to keep a clear boundary. There are too many people that want the devil out of their finances, not realizing they're the devil in their finances. The devil's got the login information to their bank account, and he's spending all their money all the time. The chaos in our lives uh, that feels so evil is sometimes chaos that we're introducing ourselves. It feels malignant because sin is a bit malignant. And settling the matter, it doesn't sound good on this side, but it feels good on that side. I remember uh, right after Camille was born, she was just a little baby. I dropped my phone and broke the screen. And uh, little babies, they nap three times a day. It is like prison. I mean, during those months when she was napping three times a day, you can't do anything. You're like finding, it was like running errands with a car with a leaky alternator. You have to constantly pour water into it. You have to stop. We'll put her down for rest at mom's. Then we'll get our groceries. We'll come back. We'll get her. And then we'll go home and put her down for another nap. I mean, it, it honestly felt like prison. Like, lights out. You couldn't do anything. And so life was, was restricted down to the few things that we could do. And so going to Verizon and getting my phone screen fixed was just well procrastinated out. So, and you know, smartphones now, we use them all day for everything. So all day I'm looking at this spider crack all over my screen. I got a glass sliver while using it. So then I had to tape over that and then you get the adhesive magnification factor. And it was just this horribly annoying thing. I kept putting it off because I'm like, I don't want to have to figure out where am I going to go and how am I going to fit it into my life when the non-nap window really needs to be devoted to the things that I have to do to just survive. And uh, so I, I put it off forever, and finally I just got sick of it. And so I called Verizon, and, I, cause, and here's the thing that's crazy. It wasn't even a money thing. I, all those months, I was paying for this warranty plan, the, like, fix your phone screen once for free warranty plan the whole time. I just wouldn't bring it in. So finally I called them, and they go, oh, you don't bring the phone in. We're with Asherion now. They'll come out with a van, and they'll fix it at your house. Oh he fixed it during nap time. I had to tell him, like, hey, when you come up, please knock on the door softly. Small apartment, baby napping over there. And he was like, oh, very cool. Great guy. Took about 15 minutes. My phone came back. And you know when, like, when you finally do the thing you've been putting off, you almost just want to touch it. You want to go look at it. Like, how many of us clean the garage and before bed we have to open it up and just look at it one more time? Just to, like, that's going to help me sleep even deeper. You pay off your credit card. You've got to log in a couple times to see the zero. Um, 
when you finally do it, it just feels good. I'll tell you this. Nobody finally addresses the thing and says to themselves, I wish I would have waited longer. That was too soon. 100% of the time we say, I wish I had done this sooner. Why did I wait so long, we say? Why did I let chaos run for so long? I mean, you can feel in the moment when chaos is dealt with and the peace comes in, how together you feel, the harmony that we feel when the Holy Spirit's reigning over our life begins to spread out. So not only does procrastination leave us up to chaos and idle kind of disasters in that way, but it leads to another form of chaos. There's another saying, it's not in Proverbs, but it's a good saying nonetheless. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. A little extreme, but hey, gets the point done. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. You know, one of the main reasons there's so much attention given to youth sports is that youth sports in every school district, it's promoted and it's popular and they can fund it. It reduces crime. It's one of the main reasons they fund it. Uh, kids learning to play football and basketball is fine and dandy, but they literally see a drop in graffiti in, in drug use. I mean, to have kids that, especially those with an anxious home, to give them something to do after school that's constructive uh, is a huge impact on them. You know, 4-H kids are, are like the salt of the earth. You've met a 4-H kid? They're better than I am. They should pastor this church. This is to be run by 4-H kids. 4-H for four square. But to give them something productive after school, it's, it's good for their character to remain busy. And I'm sure if you think about it, when you're most likely to succumb to temptation, the temptation you've wanted to say no to, it's always when you're idle. That's when you are the most vulnerable. And why? Because God put too much of a fighter in your heart, too much of a producer in your spirit. You're meant to do, to accomplish, to get things done. And that restlessness will find something to do when you're not giving it something, particularly when you're putting off something you should be doing. You know, life is full of work. It is. I mean, the day that I do laundry at the house, it is all day. It's unbelievable. There's always something to be done. Busy from sunup to sundown is an easy thing we can all accomplish if we wanted to. And what's interesting is that the curse in Genesis is not that we would have labor, but that we would labor in our labor. That it would be hard that by the sweat of our brow we would work and no longer with a deep sense of satisfaction. In Eden, there was a, in, in this perfect environment, work still existed, hard work. The call of humanity was to take the, the cultivated and orderliness of the garden and to spread that over the wilderness. To essentially take God's creation, and make it flourish, make it orderly spread his, construct, his constructive way over it. Work uh, is a way out of many traps, and it is a good thing. And it's not, your life is not a piece of garbage because there's so much work to be done. You're not devoid of spiritual development because there's so much work to be done. Work is good, and it is okay to work. It's okay to work a lot, provided that we keep that rhythm of knowing when to take a break. To not work puts us in trouble. I see it like two sides of a pincher. Excuse my crude uh, graphic here. 
That's the best I could do, okay? Two sides. One is guilt. When in idle moments, there's an anxious momentum toward rebellion because we're taking a break that we shouldn't be taking. There is an anxious momentum towards sin because we are taking a break we should not be taking. And so guilt already sets us up and pinches us from one side. And it pushes us into the other, time. We have free time that is idle to explore making all kinds of mistakes. And the trap befalls us because, not because rest is bad, but because resting during seasons of labor is bad. You know, there's this deep reality that the righteousness is imprinted on our heart. It's one of the things that I think proves Christian theology true over all other beliefs. Because the fact that we know that we're doing something wrong proves that we were created by a God that is perfect. And the fact that we don't follow that voice proves that we're broken and sinful. And so now we realize that what, what answer of, of spiritual direction comes to those who believe in a perfect God and people who know what's right and refuse to do it because there's something magnetically broken wrong that won't connect to that perfect God. Honestly, you search this world over, you find no other name but Jesus to call on in that moment. Where did I get the to there from? Back to it, he goes. We know that we shouldn't be taking that break. It's imprinted on us. There's something inside that no matter how much you try to trick yourself, you always know your tricks. Something in you knows when you're taking a break you shouldn't be taking. And it drives you in that moment, in that idle moment, to making mistakes. You know, I think that if uh, Solomon had walked by the, the farm of the sluggard during Sabbath, or after nightfall, he might not have had this insight to say about him. Because the man would have been resting when it was appropriate. Because working when we're on Sabbath or, on night, or during the night is unwise. It is resting without sense, responsibility, and no consideration of the future. That's the problem. Consideration of the future is an enormous thing for sensibility in these matters. What's coming up? What is ahead of me? It tells us two things. One is what should I be preparing for? And it also makes us realize this is no sprint. It's a marathon. And on marathons, you take breaks. You take turns. You let the other person run it, and your other person is God. There are times that you're going to have to relent, and a sense of what's ahead of us advises us greatly. You know, it's funny, my dad yesterday, he's been working in the shop, he's working all his fab stuff. He finally comes in. Oddly, he comes in, he's like, yo, it's weird, I didn't eat today. I'm like, man, how busy were you? I'm like, you just don't eat. I can't do that. I love eating. And so he comes in and he says that he, he decided to come in because he, he saw the signs. He said, I started, I spent more time looking for tools that I literally just had than I was working. So I thought, I'm too tired, I'm going in. And I thought, there's experience of a man who pushed beyond that and hurt himself at some point. Because <laughs> you can look forward and you can look back. I think in that moment, he was looking at both. Back and knowing, I know I'm not going to get anything constructive done at this point. I know previous experience. I know myself that I have to stop working on sermons when I'm mentally exhausted because it's terrible. And I go back the next day and I go, what was I talking about? This is so shallow. And I delete it all and I start over. 
I got to get my work done when my brain is still firing. We look back, we understand ourselves, but we also look forward, we understand where we're going, and we contextualize the moment. You might have things that as I'm talking about, you realize, I want to address this in my life and this and that. And I would encourage you, you can make plans, but, but today's Sunday. Maybe today is a day of rest. Maybe God wants you to start out on the right leg. But you're going to have to figure that out because wisdom tempers. Wisdom is the thing that tempers us from being workaholics or restaholics or a sluggard, as Scripture calls it. You know, Jesus, uh, he gives this teaching one day where he, he describes a, a landowner who gives uh, talents of money to several people. A talent would be a large sum of money um, intended for investment purposes. And so you could think about if we were to take uh, the English word tribute and investment and then cram them together, that's what talent in Greek means. So he would give them these talents and tells them, uh, hang on to these, I'm going to go away and invest my money for me. One person invests it sparingly, one person invests it lavishly, another person doesn't invest it at all. The one who invests lavishly gets much back. The one who invests sparingly gets some back. The one that invests nothing gets in trouble. It's actually the parable in which Jesus uses the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. And what I find interesting is that we use that Greek word uh, talent all the time in English to describe natural ability. Even though it's not an English word, it's a Greek word, and we integrated it into our language based on that haunting parable that God has entrusted you with many things, money, your home, the goods you own, the animals that are in your home, your natural abilities and giftings, and your family. Renters, steward and invest in all the things you have, and the list could go far beyond what I just said. But we are meant to invest, we're meant to steward them well, and to take each responsibility and make it grow. Not just to say, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay clear of my kids and not abuse them and, and stay away from them. You're supposed to actually invest in them so that when God looks back to see what you've done, you've made them stronger and you've made them deeper and you've grown them. Not just to collect our salaries and spend it the way that we want, however, but to be careful and invest in things that matter prayerfully, to make sure that goes towards building things that are eternal that God has given us something for investment purposes. Your talents were given to you, just as the Greek word means, as investment purposes. And we offer to him in tribute that we take these things and we, and we spend them well. I read a sermon by Charles Spurgeon on this verse, and he said something I thought was really remarkable. He said that this man has created a parcel of wasted ground that the Lord entrusted him with, a parcel of wasted ground. And the image would be particularly powerful in their culture because one of the things that makes the divvying of land so interesting in Joshua's day is that they didn't go to the wealthy, and if the wealthy accumulated over a certain amount of time, every 70 years they would reset, it would go back to the original families. Every single family was given land. Everybody was a landowner, which is huge. They used to be huge in our country. You used to only be able to vote if you were a landowner. And in that time, you had power, you had wealth, you had resources if you were a landowner. And now every family had a landowner. There was no reason to be working on a stranger's farm. Someone in your family should be the progenitor that owns the farm that you can go be at and have partial ownership in. 
God has entrusted this man with this land, and it is a completely bare and wasted parcel. We, too, have wasted parcels of land in our own life. They don't bear fruit the way that we would want, and they bear weeds instead. Idleness fails both to to bear fruit, and it's a wonderful, magnificent fertilizer for thorns. You have some weeds today that you need to pull up and some broken walls that need mending. So what are your weeds and what are your broken walls? Ask yourself this question. What procrastinated tasks rob me of true rest? What procrastinated tasks rob me of true rest? Because I want to tell you that is your weed. These weeds, they're things that we leave for so long that we don't clear restful space, we're clearing idle space. And these weeds bear sin in their seeds. What is your broken wall? Ask yourself this question. What of my time management am I most anxious to keep hidden? What about my time management am I most anxious to keep hidden? Because you always want to conceal a hole that's in the wall, the broken boundary, the place to where I really don't want to know or my boss to know what I do from this time to that time. I really don't want any of my friends to know how much time I wasted here when I should have been doing that. To keep a clear boundary of what is work and what is rest. Because we're a hardworking country, it's one of the things that's very American culture, we tend to be far more ashamed of not working when we're supposed to, and we have very little shame about not resting when we should. So I understand there may be not a, a lot to explore there, but you could think about it. If there's places that you want to hide that you're not getting the rest in that you're supposed to. I think it goes the other way, though, because when we talk to each other, we always say stuff like, how are you doing? I'm busy, so busy, super busy. I'm really, really busy. It protects us. But what are, what's an area of your time management you're most anxious to keep hidden? And it's important that once you have set aside what it is that you feel convicted this morning by God to attack in your life, that procrastinated thing, it seems really practical. It doesn't seem that spiritual to pay that bill. It might not seem that spiritual to finally just make that phone call, get the thing fixed, get the car serviced, whatever it is you're putting off that drives this anxious push into trouble. If, if it's something in your life, God is interested in how it's being managed. But I wanna ask you this. Once you've decided what that thing is that you're gonna go after, don't forget to add just as strategically, just as critically rest of when it is that you are going to hit the little moon button on your phone that makes all the beeps turn off. Whenever it is that you're gonna decide that from this time, even if it hurts, and it does, to not work when you want to, I'm not going to. And establish some sort of Sabbath rhythm, even if it's for a little bit of time every day, whether you feel the Lord's convicting you for one day, to pick that time. Because the point is not work, 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 work. That's not the point of this proverb. The point is work, rest, work, rest. Be like an ant. Be like a farm with a, with a wall. Work, rest, work, rest. And do not mix these two equally important things. Have some partitioning in your life. 
There comes a point where the sluggard is going to have to look at his wall that he isn't looking at and look at the weeds that he ignores and get his hands to it and pull them up and rebuild that wall. And for us, we're at the same spot. The things in your life you don't want to look at, you don't want to deal with, there comes a point you're going to have to look at them. You're going to have to root those things up and you're going to have to start rebuilding that wall. And I want to tell you, maybe there's something inside you that says, but I'm going to be so exhausted. But that's where the energy comes from. When you're out of the pincher, when you're out of that trouble, when you can feel the phone, look in the garage, the thing is done. You will feel rest and you'll feel peace. And when you rest, when your head hits the pillow, it will not be idle rest. It won't be anxious rest. It won't be rest that breeds sin. It'll be the right Sabbath rest that God has called us to. Complete rest, full rest, to where the soul is recovered and you could live your whole life in that rhythm. Sustainable, life-giving, and spiritual, even in those common areas of our life. I want to pray for us this morning. God, in this whole series, we just we pray that prayer that comes to us from, the, from uh, James, Lord, of if you need wisdom, ask. Lord, we ask for your wisdom. God, give us wisdom on where that wall is supposed to be. Give us wisdom as to what weeds in our life you're asking us to take hold of and to pull up. I ask that you would help us be balanced people. God, I pray for the workaholics in this room, that you would help them partition their life to break it down and to say, nothing touches this rest time. This is just as important as work. The kingdom of heaven has ordained a time to rest. And I will obey. Lord, I pray for those ridden with anxiety, deep in the pincher of idle time. God, would you give them strength and encouragement? Would you help them solve these issues to attack them one at a time with a hope of how deep that'll really go? It'll be more than paying a bill. There's spiritual matters tied up in it. It'll be more than sending that text message. There's matters of the soul and pressure that I need to take off. God, I pray that the, the, the scent of freedom ahead of them would motivate them to such a degree they'd have no idea just how hard they could work, how hard they could hit it, how sustainable it could be. That it wouldn't be what they're used to of when the looming deadline gets here and they have to work really hard to catch up, but that it would be rhythmic, lifelong strength to establish a wall and a boundary and good cultivation in their life. And that it would start here with simple things. Let us follow your wisdom. You said each day has enough trouble of its own. We will not solve our entire life in one day, but God, let us solve one day at a time so that when we rest at night, we can say we did what we were supposed to do. And even though I still got bricks to lay into that wall, and even though there's still more weeds to pull up, I know I did the right thing. And I can rest easy. Oh God, give us a deep rest. May this break out of us spiritual dimensions of wellness that we had never imagined. We thank you for your wisdom. And we thank you for the Son who personifies that wisdom and for the Spirit that is poured out on us to help us follow. Take these years ahead and help us to get these things out.